Hello, everyone. This is Martin Hugh. Welcome or welcome back to another episode of the show. My guest today needs no introduction. Super excited to have it on the show. It's Mr. Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary is a serial entrepreneur, chairman of VaynerX, CEO of VaynerMedia, CEO of vFriends, and last but not least, five times New York Times bestselling author. Chances are, if you spend any time on the internet, you've come across his content at some point. Gary is considered one of the leading minds on what's next in culture, relevance, and the internet. He is a ninja when it comes to entrepreneurship. He is a ninja when it comes to marketing, and he is described as one of the most forward thinkers in business. He consistently recognizes trends and patterns early to help others, such as myself, understand how these shifts impact markets, business, and consumer behavior. I've learned a ton from him throughout my career and continue to do so. Today, we chat AI, NFTs, his personal project, vFriends, family, and more. Excited to share this one with you today. So without further ado, please enjoy my convo with Mr. Gary V. Gary, so great to have you here, my man. Thanks for taking your time. Thanks for having me, Martin. So I want to start with a question regarding AI. We know that OpenAI came out with GPT-4 not long ago, which is just bonkers, by the way. I'm curious to know, how do you see AI augmenting your agency work and have you started implementing it internally yet? You know, internally, we're using it like very internally. Um, we don't see it augmenting our agency work until copyright and trademark are more clear. Mm -hmm. You know, right now, I think there's a lot of concern, confusion, optimism, clarity needed, curiosity on what are the sources of the creative and what are the commercial rights. So we can't use that for our content for clients because you know we would be viable if like, and so like right now we're still in a, we know it's coming, but we know there's a lot of things that need to be figured out. But as an internal tool, testing it, using it as a tool to like brainstorm with and things of that nature, we're already starting to flirt. Very cool. I want to switch gears a bit and talk about what you're doing in the NFT space. You've launched vFriends 1, 2, book games, mini drops. Uh, you created VCon, which is a multi-day marketing and business super conference. And now you recently launched something called Burn Island, which I'm fascinated by because traditionally in collecting, um, there's no way as a creator to reduce your own supply when it's out in the wild. But now with the blockchain, all of that is possible and you can actually gamify it to reward your loyal community. I always thought about book games as a standalone collection where, you know, you burn five tokens, you get a prize. But now what I'm seeing is you're tying it to your other NFTs, such as a VCon 2022 ticket to give it a second life, so to speak. How do you see this seeping into the mainstream culture and brands in the future? Yeah, I think, you know, over the next decade, NFT collectibles will continue to evolve. And, you know, I'm very excited about that. Like, you know, my intuition is as people become more aware of the power of a technology, they'll build on it. So when the iPhone came out in the first six months, one of the most popular iPhone apps was you could drink a beer with your iPhone, your screen looked right. like beer. And I was like, oh my God. And then five minutes later, we have Waze and Uber and Instacart and, you know, just profoundly important platforms and technologies that have changed our lives. And so similar to the blockchain, I think today with NFTs, people are like myself, very focused on the collectibles part of it and the utility part like I'm doing with VCon. But I think five, seven, 12 years from now, we will be 
taken aback by the execution of what a smart contract can do. Plus, I think it will seep into our everyday life, right? Um, title insurance, tickets to events. You know, tickets to events when I was in high school were pieces of paper with a barcode. Right. Even before, I mean, I mean, even old enough where it was tickets, pieces of paper. And, <laughs> yeah, and we yeah. put a barcode on it. Then they made it an email confirmation with a barcode. Now we have it as QR codes, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not going to stop with QR codes. Mm-hmm. And so I think the blockchain is a very natural place for ticketing to go. And, you know, so or what do I think? I think in the next 10 years, a lot of these behaviors that early founders like myself are in will become more mainstream. With Web3, I've definitely felt a deepening of community and loyalty towards brands and projects, so to speak. With that, you know, I feel like both the love and the hate can be accentuated to extremes. Um, how have you maneuvered communication in the NFT space where the inherent value of the token is not only tied to what you do, but it's also tied to market conditions, speculation, FUD, all that stuff. Like, what's a tip that you can give founders in the space to balance expectations and keep a healthy community? I think founders need to execute their mission. When I came out with Friends, I needed to throw a three-year conference that was attached to the Friends. right? That's what I'm focused on. With Series 2, you know, when you bought it, you got a box of trading cards. That was the utility, right? And then I care about building the intellectual property, like a Disney and a Marvel, but I'm like two years in. And so I've got to stay the course. You know, everything that's going on outside of that, that's not my control. That's not anything I can do. And you got to be empathetic to people that are concerned and that are, you know, bought your project. I'm empathetic to that. You got to keep your ego in check and stay humble when people say you're great or this is great. And you know, I think for me professionally, I've always thought about staying very um, detached. Don't hear the cheering, respect why they're booing, but don't take it fully to heart as if like you suck and just kind yeah. of work, 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 work. And if you put in the good work, good things will come out on the other side. Personal question. What's something you're weighing differently this year versus last year? What's something that you've decided to spend more time on improving personally? I continue to be down a path of, providing candor more often. It's been a real challenge for me my whole career. Gary Vee's good at candor. Gary Vaynerchuk, the operator, struggles with it. I don't love conflict. I definitely hate making people feel sad. I've always felt that when you give candor, a lot of fear is injected into a person. Am I gonna lose my job? Da, 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 da. So I continue to work on candor. I've also been very focused on having a higher percentage of protein go into my body and a lesser percentage of carbs. So that's been a focus in 2023 that I'm happy is off to a good start in the first 100 days of the year. I've also focused on keeping the good things from COVID. Mm -hmm. So I've traveled less when I haven't had to. I've continued to reach out to people on Instagram DM and LinkedIn and just say hi and see if I can connect for five or 15 minutes on Zoom. So those are some of the things. Very cool. You mentioned your next book will be titled Perfectly Parented. Is is that like in the works right now? I didn't say specifically my next book. I said a book I'm desperately trying to put out before I die is that. My next book is going to be Jab, 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 Left Hook, which is a follow-up to oh. a book I wrote 10 years ago, um, which talks about the state of the union of how to do social media content strategically. Um, and But I will write Perfectly Parented at some point. And, you know, I continue to go through my journey as a, as a human, as a parent. And, you know, I think I can tell that it's not ready to be completely cooked, 
And so when it's ready, it's like a nice bottle of wine. I don't wanna, I know it's a good bottle of wine, and I know if I opened it right now, it'd be really good. But I have a feeling if I wait for the perfect time to pop it, that it can be really profound and I'd like to continue to sit on it. You often talk about how much your mom had an impact on you, on the person that you are today. Do you think it's foreseeable in the future to have you and her on the same podcast or in an interview? She's been very tough. I feel like I have a better (laughs) chance to get like Obama and Trump on the podcast at the same time than I do to have my mom on it. She's incredibly private. And, you know, she's just that behind the scenes kind of person. I'd like to sneak it in um, sometime before we can't sneak it in. And so hopefully over the next 40 years, I can trick her into it. How has your relationship with your dad evolved? I've seen you include more of him within your personal brand. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I saw him at VCon too. Do you have any advice on building a stronger and healthier relationship with your dad? You know, as, as men, like who, depending on the culture that you were brought up with, we can be more reserved and show less emotion. So just curious about your thoughts on that. I think patience in relationship is important. You know, I have a lot of important relationships in my life and they go through ebbs and flows. I'm not very crippled by where a relationship sits in a given day, week, month, even year. And if it's important enough, even decade. You know, for me, I'm always trying to make relationships that matter stronger. Sometimes that's being more passive. Sometimes that's being leaning in more. For my dad and I, it required us not working together for us to go on the journey where you saw at VCon. My dad and I were competitive with each other. And people can judge that. I think people tend to judge parents that are competitive with their children. I actually have never judged my dad ever with being competitive with me because I understand it too much. I understand what it means to be fiercely competitive, even at the cost of doing things that would be deemingly considered politically incorrect. I'm completely inappropriate at New York Jets football games to opposing fans. I'm the least (laughs) version of myself in that environment. And so for me and my dad, somewhere around 2005, it started getting really challenging. I was asserting myself in the business. I had, for short of a better word, I had become the man to the distributors, to the customers, to our vendors, to the industry. My, you know, I was, I was 30 years old. My father was 52 years old. Mm. He was a young man. Yeah. And so, you know, that's challenging. And for me, I was challenged because I was really doing the work and I wanted the freedom to do whatever I wanted. And my father, it was his business. Mm-hmm. And we, we were butting heads at a lot of issues. I mean, we had a 20 year fight on should the employees be able to buy product at cost? 20 years, 20 years my father and I fought. Every month, every week, every year, four times a year, sometimes 23 times a year on one single issue. Should the employees be able to buy the product at our cost? I said yes, he said no. And it were, was a, were they able to? For, for certain periods they were and certain periods they weren't because we would go back and forth in our debates and, and, and in our policies because of our debates. And you know, it was a real challenge. And like one that I still am emotional about and I know he is too. So much so I'm gonna make sure DRock doesn't even like clip this because it doesn't need any more exposure than what's already been given to it. But you know, so we needed to separate and in that separation, we had a lot of feelings. 
for a half a decade. So from 2000, from 2011 to 2016, I think we were decompressing from our you know, 15 years together day in and day out. And what you got to see was the culmination of a father who um, had gotten to such a level of pride and a son who was able to achieve enough to create enough separation from his father um, that we kind of just both got into our place where I got older and became empathetic of like, oh my God, how could I have ever asked my dad to be passive? Mm. When I was 22, I came into the business, he was 44, three years younger than I am now. And I'm like, hey man, go chill, go chill. I'm like just starting. He was 44, it was his business. And so I became more compassionate of what made him want to keep a hand on the steering wheel. And for him, I think once I got to a certain level where he actually realized we were not competing, it went from him competing to him being proud. That's beautiful. And that's awesome. You know, for anybody who's a child listening right now, having your parents proud of you is just a wildly emotionally good feeling. And so I went from having to compete with my father, which I was frustrated by because I'm like, hey, dude, I'm better than you. Like, you know, like really competing mm-hmm. to this incredible ultimate feeling of being on the receiving end of unbridled pride at the same time that I become even more compassionate for my father and why he was still heavy handed when I had it. It was cause he was not ready to be done. It was crazy for me to ask him to go into that place. And do you feel like you would be the same? What's that brother? Do, do you feel like you would be the same if somebody say one of your kids came into the business and. I, I think because I had the luxury of learning through my situation, I would never put our, my kid and myself in that position. Mm. You know, I have a lot of empathy for my dad. Like he didn't know better. We were, you know, he didn't have that context. We were immigrants. Like, you know, like he knew that like the kid comes and helps out in the store. That's what families do for each other. You know, it was just, it was very different. And so, yeah, I mean, I could never, if I had a, I'm 47. So if I had a 25 year old son who had the juice, he or daughter, he would or she would be doing something very different. You know, we I would team up with them, but not in my business. I need to continue to drive my business. Gary, thank you so much for your time. Um, you inspired me to start my own marketing agency eight years ago, started podcasting because of you. I also got into NFTs because of you. And um, I want to be cognizant of your time, but do you have a minute for one quick ask? Sure. I figured this is the best chance I'll get to talk to you about this, but I own several restaurants and bars in Montreal. And um, I'm currently building a members club that's called Maya, where token holders get to attend our events uh, yep. everywhere in the world. So omakase yep. dinners, all that stuff. Yep. Uh, they will have access to our private cocktail bar, which is currently under construction. And I was wondering if at all it was possible to have you as a member. It would be an honor and a dream come true if you could hold one of our memberships. Send me an email on it. and I'd love to. I, I'm very seriously considering it. Thank you so much. Cheers, brother. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please consider leaving a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, or any other platform you're listening on. Your feedback is always super helpful. So if you could take 13 to 35 seconds of your time to share some thoughts with me, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening. And until next time.